Hear the word of our Lord from the Gospel of St. Mark, the seventh chapter, beginning in the fifth verse. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. For today's VLL broadcast, I would like to ruffle some feathers. I woke up in a funny mood and all day I've had these thoughts rumbling around in my head that as I was thinking them, and as I was doing some rereading on Luther's commentary on the Epistle to the Galatians, I was thinking these thoughts, and then I thought to myself, you know, you're going to make some people maybe a little angry. And I said to myself, sounds like fun. You ready to have some fun? <laughs> so, there is a phenomenon that I would like to call Lutheran mental gymnastics. It's a bad thing. It's something we should all seek to avoid. It is something we should run from like the plague and speak of in hushed tones in the corner. Like we dare not speak of it out loud lest the ick of the topic get on us. Lutheran mental gymnastics, what is it? Lutheran mental gymnastics is when an otherwise good solid Lutheran uses the distinctives of our denomination to excuse sin, to excuse wrongdoing on his part or her part, to do what they really wanted to do rather than what God wanted them to do. Lutheran mental gymnastics is something that plagues us. It plagues the church. It is, I believe, one of the reasons why liberal Christianity or apostate Christianity, the churches that don't preach the gospel, that don't care what Jesus said, that don't believe the Bible is the word of God, that's our baby. That belongs to Lutheran heritage. In case you never had the, the time to read up on it, Schleiermacher was Lutheran. Julius Wellhausen, the guy that gave us the JDEP theory of the Mosaic books, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. Yeah, Wellhausen was a Lutheran. The theory that, um, well, St. Paul was a bad guy and we need to hate on St. Paul came from the Lutheran Tübingen School. They were the ones to introduce that. Thank you, Tübingen School. Lutherans. Yes, even Hegel, as uh, E. Michael Jones loves to point out, Hegel was studying to be a good, nice little Lutheran boy. 
Yes, that means I am saying Marxism was influenced by bad Lutheranism. And all of these guys, they really, at the end of the day, I believe they engaged in Lutheran mental gymnastics, using the distinctives of the faith in order to do what they want rather than what God wants. After all, if they were focusing so much on what God wants them to do and what the Word of God says, well, you know, they might be one of those icky pietists, right? How does this look? Let's give some examples of Lutheran mental gymnastics and why we need to avoid that like the plague. Why we should be scared to do it. Why we should every now and then question ourselves as to whether or not we are engaging in it. Great example of this, law and gospel. Law and gospel. How does your average layman that does not take his faith seriously, if he hears about law and gospel, or if he approaches it, how does he interpret it? He interprets it like this. Well, pastor said the law is the thing that makes me feel bad. The gospel is the thing that makes me feel good. Because the law doesn't save, and it's there to point me to Jesus because of the first use. It tells me I'm a bad person, and I don't like that. But then the gospel tells me Jesus loves me and it's okay. Okay, cool. I, I like the gospel. So suddenly, you will hear people in your parish complain about the pastor's sermon when they say, there was a lot of law there. Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> That's just bad. That's icky. Too much law. What were you? You're just trying to squish us, right? And they won't do what he, the pastor says. If the pastor says... May we be generous to our fellow man in his sermon. A sermon on stealing and why it's bad. Why God gives, but we steal. We, we must repent for that and turn to Christ for salvation because he gave up everything to give us everything in eternal life. And then he ends on his benediction and everything with, May we give and be generous the way Jesus is generous. How many people in that church go, no, that's a little bit too much law there, Pastor. Don't don't come to me with commandments, okay? You're just trying to make me feel worse. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen people like that. What does that really mean? It means they are using Lutheran mental gymnastics, using law and gospel to justify uh, disobeying God, to excuse their faithless behavior. I don't want to give to charity. Uh... Um, I don't want to give to the poor. Uh, well, I can't say that. You telling me to be generous to the poor is just giving me law. And I've had about enough of that. We need more gospel around this place. Of course. <laughs> What's another one we hear about? Um, how about the sacraments? We believe in baptism, the Lord's Supper, and depending on which part of the Book of Concord you're reading... Confession and absolution as the three sacraments. But can you imagine somebody tempted by sin, tempted to sin, feeling the sting of concupiscence? He's tempted to watch some porn. It's nine o'clock at night, he's alone, nobody's around, and it's Thursday. And he's just thinking to himself, hmm, you know what? I'm going to be going to confession and absolution this Sunday anyway at the beginning of the divine service. Ah, oh, it'll be fine. Haven't we all felt that way just a little bit? Or, if he is having a difficult time in faith, 
And instead of actually speaking about the difficulties of the faith and the harsh things that he's feeling and thinking, he hedges his bets on his baptism, remembering the promises of baptism and saying, you can't judge me. I'm baptized. Ha! I'm going to do what I want. Or, oh, thank God there's forgiveness in the Eucharist. Thank the Lord for that. Because I've done a lot of bad stuff this week. And they don't feel any terror at their sins. They're not afraid of God's wrath. No, how are they truly feeling? Self-justified? Impenitent? They're doing a lot of mental gymnastics to pretend that they're not. But this is an impenitent sinner hiding behind the sacraments, the Lutheran distinctives of our denomination, to get away with sin. This can also apply to things that aren't necessarily part of core Lutheran doctrines, things you're not going to find in the Book of Concord or even in the Bible. Let's take the Magdeburg Confession. Oh man, I want to rebel against the government. I want to kill the government. I want to blow up the government. And then I reply to them, well, have you read Romans 13? Well, yeah, I read Romans 13, but I also read from the Magdeburg Confession why I can just ignore that. Really? Really? So you're saying now, your desire to kill in violation of the Fifth Commandment is justified because of a document, the historical context of which you do not inhabit. And in addition to that, we, we hear about the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. We hear about this idea from the Magdeburg Confession and very conveniently forget that in America, everybody is a lesser magistrate. So long as you are registered to vote, you are given a shred of power and certain civic responsibilities, which would make you a lesser magistrate. Maybe the least of the lesser magistrates, but yes, you are vested with political power if you can vote, if you pay your taxes, if you exercise the rights that this government believes it bestows upon you. Okay, so with the doctrine of the lesser magistrate and with the Magdeburg Confession, does this mean that every single United States citizen has within their rights the ability to, without sin, take up arms and kill people in their government? After all, oh yeah, the Magdeburg Confession says, well, it's only when the, the imperial authorities are trying to destroy the true Christian faith. But I mean, let's face it, guys, there are people that believe taxation is that. And I, the sad thing is, is I know bringing this up, some people are going to be like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. I vote, so I'm going to go to my city council because they increased the excise tax on goods and I'm going to kill them all. And my heart weeps hearing that. But it's a justification for rebellion. It's a justification used using Lutheran mental gymnastics in order to violate the holy apostolic command to obey the governing authorities, to twist ourselves into pretzels to justify the sin that we want to do and the sin that we have in our hearts, rather than obeying the pure word of God, doing what we are told to do, living our faith seriously. And this is to say nothing, it's neither here nor there, in this case, whether the Magdeburg Confession is true 
theologically speaking. I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole because that was written in 1550 regarding politics of 1550, and I'm here in the year of our Lord 2022. I don't think it applies nearly as much as people think it does or wish it does or hope it does not. But I have seen it used as an excuse for somebody to wish death upon people that, biblically speaking, they should not wish death upon. Period. The Bible tells you to pray for your leaders. St. Paul tells you to do that and to obey the governing authorities. You don't get to not do that just because you read something from 1550 that isn't even in the Book of Concord. Told y'all I was going to be ruffling some feathers. Today is feather ruffling day, and I hope you still love me. I love all of you. <laughs> but every now and then you just got to say stuff that makes people pretty, uh, pretty upset. But what else do we have in our notes here for Lutheran mental gymnastics? Let's give one more example here that is found in Luther's writings. It is core Lutheran doctrine, but also sometimes sorely misunderstood. Two kingdoms doctrine. There's a left-hand kingdom and a right-hand kingdom. All Lutherans understand this is the basis by which the American founders, they did the whole separation of church and state thing based on the two kingdoms doctrine without fully understanding it. But I digress. We'll get past the American Revolution here. The two kingdoms posits that there's a left-hand kingdom of civic government. God rules the world through civic government on the left hand and through the church on the right hand. The civil government's job, the reason that they are put there, is to establish justice. How do they do that? By punishing wickedness and rewarding righteousness. Punishing bad deeds, coram mundo, and rewarding good deeds, coram mundo. Meanwhile, the right-hand kingdom, the church, God rules the world through the church, coram deo. The church is not supposed to have political power, period. <laughs> the confessions say this in the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope, in the small called articles, and in the Augsburg Confession, and in the apology to the Augsburg Confession. It is not the church's job to boss around the federal government. It is not the church's job to tell the government what to do. We absolutely want godly leaders who will listen to biblical instruction at their church and make good decisions from there. But if a pastor goes up to his mayor and says, here is how you are going to run your government because I occupy the office of prophet and you are going to do what I say. Uh, that pastor is in sin. He is violating his office by trying to have temporal power. Now, how would people manipulate this doctrine of the two kingdoms. I have heard it said that it is okay when a member of the left-hand kingdom does something evil or sinful insofar as it establishes their job. If it does their job, according to the person that is saying this, of course, according to their opinions and their point of view, uh, if they do something dirty, that's okay. Because after all, they're not under the same rules as the church is. So, <laughs> yeah, they can, they can kill people I don't like. Or, yeah, they can do X, Y, or Z foreign dis destructive mission. This is where we got a lot of Christian support for the Iraq War. Yes, let's, uh, let's go to this country on bad pretenses and do this. I met Christians that I said, well, what about this? We didn't really have a right going there. And they said, yeah, well, that's left-hand kingdom for you. 
Wait, now you're excusing not your own sin, but you're excusing somebody else's sin. I would shudder to think of a Lutheran prince or ruler justifying his own sin because he's part of the left-hand kingdom, you see. That would, that would be bad. Shouldn't a Christian ruler also obey our Lord Jesus Christ? Shouldn't he? If Jesus says, love your enemies, and if you have to do that, shouldn't you use even your worldly office to accomplish that? Yes, you're supposed to be establishing justice in the land, but if you don't like somebody or you have a disagreement with them, whether political or theological or whatever, using your throne to justify harming them is in violation of so many commandments, it's making my head spin. But that's Lutheran mental gymnastics for you. That is Lutherans not caring about their faith and not taking their faith seriously and instead instead of caring about their sanctification instead of taking literally even a shred of ownership over it they try to sidestep it with our traditions and with our denominational distinctives in order to let the old adam reign over their souls and there are consequences for that that everybody ought to understand this is why it is something we should be on guard against justifying our sin with our theology well a it's going to insult god yes but what does that do to you are you going to be living in victory in christ if you are engaging in this sort of behavior you will not i pray for your soul you might find yourself in a state of mortal sin if you keep going down this path after all the liberal denominations i brought this up liberal christianity is a thing that belongs to Lutheranism. Sad to say it, it's our baby. And all of those people who did all this ugly false teaching that mangled the faith, that denied the scripture, still called themselves Lutheran during this time to the point where they were willing to deny the virgin birth but say they still believed in Jesus and it's okay, they were going to heaven. Uh, Boltmann, able to claim that, well... There, now, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, but it's that charisma of grace that we really have to hold on to. Mankind has come of age. We don't have to believe in supernatural hocus pocus, but as a good Lutheran, I can tell you that this law gospel distinction needs to be kept 100%. We need the doctrines of grace after all, and otherwise a man might not find himself saved. And he might not go to heaven when he dies. Do you see that guy doing that? Boltmann did it. Farda did it. Farda denied the confessions. He denied the efficacy of scripture. And he made up every little bit of his theology to fit Lutheranism without, you know, the atonement. Without our sins really being forgiven. With everything. If you ever hear a lot of people uh, speaking of, oh, yes, you're just saying the law because you want me to feel bad and we don't need that. And we don't need that third use of the law stuff because that's just <laughs> salvation by works. Yeah, thank Ferda for that. And unfortunately, it has infected various parts of Lutheran circles. It's ugly and it's bad. Now, the thing is, though, is none of us here are going to look at Ferda or Moltmann or Boltmann 
or any number of those kinds of guys and go, boy, howdy, what a saint of God Almighty. Look how Lutheran he was being when he said that Jesus dying for our sins and saving us that way. Oh, that's that's in violation of sola fide. And I'm a good Lutheran, so I'm going to say Jesus. And it was just a death on a cross and nothing more. Nobody goes, wow, what a great Lutheran. Oh boy, he held on to our doctrine so tightly. Cheers. Nobody says that. But are we willing to do that for ourselves? Are we willing to say, am I hiding behind my Lutheranism in order to get away with my sin? And if I am, if that's me, am I willing to fix it and say, this is about Christ. What does Christ want me to do? Do I really want to say, oh, Jesus says, if your enemy has something against you before you go to the altar, go to your enemy and try to be reconciled with him. Do we say, uh, no, thank you, Jesus. That sin of mine was forgiven at confession and absolution. So <laughs> don't worry. I'll be at the altar on time. And after all, if that's wiped away, I don't have to do what you say, Jesus. Thanks. Uh, live and forgiven. Do we ever look at ourselves saying that? Even subconsciously, do we ever examine ourselves to go, wow, oh no, Jesus condemns me the same way he condemned the Pharisees. From the passage we read at the very beginning of this VLL broadcast, Jesus condemns the Pharisees because their traditions, their formulations and everything, amounted to being able to say, well, God, I would do what you say, but you see, I said ollie ollie oxen free and I had my fingers crossed behind my back. So um, I don't have to honor my father and my mother because I told him it was all Corban. Jesus says, nope, that's not pleasing to God. Your heart is far from God because you're using the traditions of men and violating God's commandment, leaving it unfulfilled. Do we want to be that way? Is that the new obedience that is supposed to mark our souls? To desire to please our God. To love the word so much that we cry out with King David in Psalm 119, Your law is a light. Your law cleanses my heart. I love your law. I love your precepts. I love your commandments. Well, which is more important to you? Being a Lutheran or obeying God? <laughs> in other words, which is more important to you? Being a Lutheran or being a Lutheran that means it? Which one are you going to be? Which one am I going to be? I'll tell you right now. <laughs> it's hard, but I'm trying my best here. I go to confession understanding that if I've left something out, I know I have to fix it. Penance is not a sacrament. Penance does not confer upon us the forgiveness of our sins, but darn it, every single Christian ought to be doing proper penitence, living in penitent faith, living in active faith, that does result in good works, the fruits of our faith. If we don't do that, if we do not take this part of our sanctification seriously, the result is going to be, well, the destruction of entire denominational groups for their wholesale slide into apostasy and antinomian drivel. That stuff grows. If one person gets away with it, another person gets away with it, another person sees it's happening, and it keeps going on, so on and so forth, until we have the terrible circumstances we see in the Lutheran liberal churches of today. It grows. And, honestly, in conservative Lutheran churches, starting to fall in love with the world, because the world says some things that 
Oh boy, really ring true to Lutheran ears at first blush, and, and we're really happy to hear it. So, oh man, time to time to use our distinctives here to justify what the world is doing. We've seen big conservative Lutheranism, big confessional Lutheranism do that before, haven't we? Justifying their sin or their injustice to get brownie points from the world and couching it in Lutheran language. I wonder if I've ever experienced that. So yes, on the macro scale, the degradation and destruction of Lutheranism as a whole. I don't want that to happen, so please uh, follow me in doing this and actually listening to God's word and actually caring about whether we are following his commandments to us. Holy apostolic command, the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Ten Commandments, the whole shebang. But also on the individual level, yes, there is a threat to your well-being. Because if Christ himself condemns you, along with the Pharisees, for using the traditions of men in order to violate the commandment of God, you're in a bad spot. This is the same Jesus that, you know, says when he comes back, there's going to be people saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? Didn't we hold such great faith in you? And he says, I never knew you. A surefire sign as to whether he will say to you on judgment day, I never knew you, is if you took your traditions and your denomination and used that to disobey him and feel like you were getting away with it. I don't want that for any of us. I don't want that for a single soul. Now, is this saying that uh, our Lutheran distinctives are just the tradition of men? Absolutely not. I hold that confessional Lutheranism is biblical Christianity. Hands down, period, end of story. This is sola scriptura taken seriously. The Bible is the word of God, and I believe that Lutheranism is the only denomination that consistently follows what the word says for our doctrine, for our faith and morals. But it becomes vacuous, empty traditions of men if we do not live it. Remember, the Bible is not worth a bucket of spit if it does not apply to you. If Jesus died and rose again, but he didn't do that for you, what's the point? There is no point. You can say, oh, I, I want to stand for the truth, but it's, the truth wouldn't be doing anything for you. Nothing. If Jesus did not die and rise again for you, for your justification, for the forgiveness of your sins, for the promise of eternal life, which is apprehended in your baptism, if, if it wasn't for that, there's no point in being a Christian. But he did do all these things for you. The Bible does apply to you. The Bible is about Jesus for you. The same thing goes for Lutheran distinctives then. Our doctrine, our dogmas, because they are taken from Holy Scripture, if they do not apply to you, and if you do not take them seriously, then they are worthless. Might as well go be an evangelical, might as well go be a Roman Catholic, might as well go be a Calvinist or whatever other denomination you want to do. If you're going to see the doctrines as smoke screens so that you can not have to take God's words seriously, then they are worthless to you. You are treating them as traditions of men. Emptiness. Let's not do that. <laughs> Especially knowing that the Lutheran confessions say that there's uh, quite a bit of wrath 
from God, even upon believers who he will discipline. In fact, here in the large catechism on the Ten Commandments, in the conclusion section, let's hear from good old Dr. Martin Luther. Let us suffice concerning the first part, both for instruction and for admonition. In conclusion, however, we must repeat the text which we have already treated above in connection with the first commandment in order to show how much effort God requires us to devote to learning how to teach and practice the Ten Commandments. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But to those who love me and keep my commandments, I show mercy unto a thousand generations. Although primarily attached to the first commandment, as we heard above, this appendix, it was intended to apply to all the commandments, and all of them as a whole ought to be referred and directed to it. For this reason, I said that we should keep it before the young and insist that they learn and remember it so that we may see why we are constrained and compelled to keep these Ten Commandments. This appendix ought to be regarded as attached to each individual commandment, penetrating and pervading them all. Now, as we said before, these words contain both a wrathful threat and a friendly promise. Not only to terrify and warn us, but also to attract and allure us. These words, therefore, ought to be received and esteemed as a serious matter to God, because he himself here declares how important the commandments are to him, and how strictly he will watch over them, fearfully and terribly punishing all who despise and transgress his commandments. And again, how richly he will reward, bless, and bestow all good things on those who prize them and gladly act and live in accordance with them. Thus he demands that all our actions proceed from a heart that fears and regards God alone, and because of this fear, avoids all that is contrary to his will, lest he be moved to wrath and conversely trusts him alone, and for his sake does all that he asks of us, because he shows himself a kind father and offers us every grace and blessing. Wow! Luther, giving us the third use of the law here and applying it. And even saying that you get good from the law, from these Ten Commandments, if you follow them, and you get bad if you violate them. There are a lot of Lutherans suffering right now under the punishment of God Almighty because they are too Lutheran for God and they don't want to follow what he says. I'm tired of that. I hope you are too, because it's going to end up eating the church alive. If this doesn't turn around, if we don't turn that trend around and tell people, no, you can call me a pietist all you want. I just own that. I am. I don't know about y'all listening here, but I just wear the label proudly. But if we don't take our faith seriously and seek to please God, we are going to end up under God's displeasure and wrath and even risk Christ himself saying, I never knew you. Get out of here, Pharisee. Let's not be that. Amen and amen.